Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 18th episode of Heavier Than I Look, a podcast dedicated to healing, recovery, and storytelling. My name is Kira Russo, and I am your host. If you feel that listening may aggravate your suffering or complicate your recovery, please take this notice as a trigger warning. Discuss with your support system as necessary, and as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. Eating disorders are characterized as distinctly female, largely because males are omitted from research, diagnosis, and treatment, which is why today's episode is dedicated to all those who have struggled with an eating disorder and identify as male. You may feel as if you are a man in a woman's world, but know that you are supported regardless of your gender identity and because of our shared experience. Less than 1% of all eating disorder research focuses specifically and exclusively on males, which leads to their exclusion in the understanding of eating disorders. ED patients who are male were first noted in 1689 by English physician Richard Morton when he was studying nervous consumption. In 1874, Ernest Charles Lesage and Sir William Gull reported a few cases of eating disorders among males. And then in 1972, Peter Beaumont and colleagues studied anorexia in male subjects. Overall, men have largely been ignored in the historical accounts and studies of eating disorders, making it that much more difficult to integrate them in the understood image of eating disorders today. Until the most recent Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM-5, which was released in 2013, amenorrhea, which is the loss of one's menstrual period, was a requirement to meet the criteria for anorexia nervosa. Because of this, males who struggled with anorexia were not able to be diagnosed because of an anatomical impossibility. Much of the diagnostic criteria for eating disorders in general is gender biased. Certain diagnostic screenings or risk assessment tools reflect female symptomology or intention for a certain thin body, reinforcing gender stereotypes. Medical providers couldn't diagnose male patients with anorexia, and thus their suffering may have been invalidated and their treatment insufficient and misled. The little research that exists demonstrates that although one in three people who struggle with an eating disorder identify as male, they only make up approximately one in 10 eating disorder patients. The discrepancy between those who struggle and those who are clinically diagnosed and treated is frightening. The percentage of men who struggle with eating disorders is estimated to be much higher because they are overlooked, underdiagnosed, and not represented in many studies that do exist. In the United States alone, 10 million males will be affected by eating disorders at some point in their lives, and this number is rising. 
From 1999 to 2009, hospitalizations involving eating disorders for male patients increased by over 50%. This uptick in males facing severe eating or body image issues may result from the media's increased focus on male bodies. In the past 30 years, images of semi-naked men in popular magazine content has become increasingly more frequent. The media and our popular culture also has a heightened focus on the ideal male body as muscular. Action figures produced since 1964 have consistently become more and more muscular, with increasingly smaller waists and larger chests or biceps. Young men may be more driven to align their bodies with an unattainable muscular physique, which results in an increase of body dissatisfaction rates of which among men have grown to become comparable to those among women. This muscular ideal can be harmful. As mentioned before in episode 16, Eating Disorders in Midlife, men can develop what is known as muscle dysmorphia, which is a form of body dysmorphia. It is characterized by a preoccupation with muscle development and excessive exercise. Muscle dysmorphia is associated with a fear of not being muscular enough, and may result in symptoms such as compulsive exercise, protein supplementation, dietary restriction, or the use of supplements and performance-enhancing drugs and steroids. Quote, The rate of anabolic steroid use among males, among young males, is roughly equal to that of anorexia and bulimia in young females. End quote. Now, over 2 million males at all ages in the United States have used anabolic steroids at some point in their lives. These drugs produce dramatic and rapid change in muscle mass, yet are linked with physical and psychological complications after the use, including prostate enlargement, high cholesterol, depression, and suicidal ideation as a withdrawal symptom. Of those with anorexia, 25% are estimated to be male. Of those with bulimia, 25% are estimated to be male. Of those with binge eating disorder, 36% are estimated to be male. And of those with ARFID, which is the Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder, 67% are estimated to be male. Just a quick reminder, that ARFID is a restrictive eating disorder characterized by stalled weight gain or weight loss in addition to limitations in type of food consumed. Distinctly, ARFID does not involve fears about body shape or size, yet involves severe fear surrounding certain foods. Males have a lifetime prevalence of 0.3% for anorexia, 0.5% for bulimia, and 2.0% for BED, binge eating disorder. These numbers do not lie. The symptomology of eating disorders and disordered eating vary a little with gender, and so the warning signs appear differently. Because of this, the symptoms may also be less detectable as they don't align with the typical criteria or risks that family, friends, medical providers, and the individuals themselves may observe. Warning signs include a preoccupation with bodybuilding, weightlifting, or muscle toning, 
exercising when sick or injured, lower testosterone, anxiety or stress over missing workouts, muscular weakness, decreased interest in sex or fears around sex, possible conflict with gender identity or sexual orientation, and the use of anabolic steroids. Subclinical eating disorder behaviors, such as binge eating, purging, laxative abuse, and fasting for weight loss, are nearly as common among men as they are among women. In addition to the varying symptomology among males, there are other differences in the experience of a male with an eating disorder that are very important to note. Males with EDs tend to be older, have greater incidence of comorbidity, and engage in suicidal behaviors more often. Males are less likely to engage in typical purging behaviors and are more likely to use exercise as a purging behavior. Men also have different, generally have differing weight histories. Quote, Men frequently have been mildly to moderately obese at one point in their lives before developing an eating disorder and were particularly susceptible if obesity was present in childhood. This contrasts with women as they generally felt fat before using compensatory behaviors to lose weight. However, most women usually had a normal weight history. End quote. One of the most important things to note is that men are more likely to have comorbidity, which is the simultaneous presence of two chronic disease, diseases or condi- conditions in one patient. A male's eating disorder might be accompanied by anxiety or excessive exercise or depression or substance use disorders. Eating disorders may be overlooked in the presence of another disorder, especially because an eating disorder may be unexpected for a male patient. And treatment with comorbidity is generally pretty tricky because of the presence of two disorders that may serve different purposes or contradict one another in a treatment setting. Quote, Due to this tendency to underdiagnose, many individuals are only in treatment for substance abuse with little, if any, attention to food and body issues, end quote. Males with eating disorders can face increased health risk elsewhere. Men with anorexia are more likely to develop bone conditions such as osteopenia or osteoporosis and eventually require a testosterone supplement. Men with bulimia may face issues with tooth decay, electrolyte imbalances, or bowel or esophageal complications. And men with binge eating disorder can have health complications such as high blood pressure, high cholesterol, gallbladder issues, heart disease, and type 2 diabetes. Males have also historically been excluded in what is considered a female-centric treatment framework. Males may be less likely to seek treatment because of a cultural bias and stigma. Not only are eating disorders largely characterized as feminine, but psychological counseling might be viewed as emasculating. If males do seek treatment, they may fear their masculinity being undermined or their sexuality questioned. Although eating disorders affect a greater percentage of the gay and bisexual population, with 15% afflicted, than they do heterosexual men, with only 5% afflicted. Most males who have eating disorders identify as heterosexual. 
Interestingly, research has demonstrated a connection between gender identification and eating disorder expression. Quote, Those individuals who identified with more feminine gender norms tended to have thinness body concerns, while those who identified with more masculine norms tended towards masculinity concerns. End quote. For males with eating disorders, it is recommended to approach treatment in gender sensitivity. This approach might bring greater awareness to the nuances of experience and symptomology among males, while also addressing potential body image concerns that differ from women who have eating disorders or disordered eating. This gender-sensitive approach would be more dynamic by supporting different needs and addressing the disparity in gender identity for eating disorder trajectory. Quote, All male therapeutic groups are generally recommended as they encourage vulnerability through empathy found in the process of group work. When a man takes a risk and begins to disclose his issues with food or body image, other men feel safer revealing their own issues, which may also dispel the belief that eating disorders are a women's disease. End quote. Thankfully, males seem to respond well to the same types of psychiatric treatment as females, especially cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and family-based therapy, FBT. Treatment and early intervention is critical among the male eating disorder population, perhaps even more so than in the female ED population. This is because the risk of mortality that males face may be greater than that faced by females. This, due to the severity of their symptoms or the time at which they seek treatment in the chronology of their illness. Quote, Men with eating disorders do often get very sick because in general, they are not seeking out medical care or being identified as having a problem until much later in the natural history of the disease process compared to women. End quote. Going forward, an underreporting of eating disorder treatment needs to be addressed in a greater capacity, as it is a major inhibitor to diagnosis, treatment, and relevant research. We've discussed in the past the danger inherent in the single story of an eating disorder, most specifically in episode 15, Race-Based Stereotypes in Eating Disorder, Diagnosis and Treatment, and episode 16, Eating Disorders in Midlife. And this is continually present in today's episode. This image and reductive story of eating disorders is in urgent need to change. Otherwise, it means lives lost. Quote, Incorporating a focus on issues unique to males, such as weight history, sexual abuse, trauma, gender orientation, body image, the abuse of exercise, media pressures, and the unique dynamic of male depression and shame may ultimately lead to improved intervention techniques, end quote. As we deconstruct the notions of eating disorders to exist beyond the size of the, individu the, beyond the, size of the individual or the color of one's skin or the wealth of one's pockets or the age of one struggling, we must also work to deconstruct the notion of eating disorders to only exist in female bodies. Regardless of gender identity, eating disorders can destroy and kill.
If you would like to learn more about what sources I used in the discussion of eating disorder diagnosis, treatment, and recovery among males, my citations will be placed in the show notes. Next week, HTIL will discuss how trauma may linger physically and psychologically long after the traumatic event has occurred. We will discuss the novel, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma, by Bessel van der Kock, a psychiatrist famous for his research and experience in the treatment of trauma. Tune in on Friday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. All new episodes of HTIL will be uploaded to Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts by 11.59 p.m. each Sunday night if you miss the live broadcast. Feel free to return to old episodes by visiting these sites. If you would like to listen to my own story of anorexia, binge eating, and body dysmorphia, you can listen on any of these platforms. Please consider sharing the podcast with family, friends, or those who you feel could specifically benefit. If you or someone you love might be struggling with an eating disorder, know that you have my full support in recovery and consider seeking treatment. If you feel treatment may be inaccessible to you, please consider seeking support through Project HEAL, which is the largest nonprofit in the United States delivering prevention, treatment financing, and recovery support for those struggling. Disordered eating has ruled my life for nearly six years, and I didn't think anything would ever be able to come in between that. Treatment did, and treatment does. If you are in a crisis situation, please contact NEDA's helpline by texting NEDA to 741741. HTIL has its very own Instagram and Twitter accounts, so if you would like to suggest your own episode topic or interact with the podcast further, please feel free to follow my Instagram at Heavier Than I Look and Twitter at HTIL Podcast. If you are interested in sharing your own story as a feature on the show, please direct message me on Instagram or Twitter. Don't be afraid to reach out. I would love to hear from you. My podcast, Heavier Than I Look, aims to empower survivors, educate listeners, and foster conversations surrounding eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Eating disorders demand silence, yet this podcast is an attempt to de-isolate and destigmatize a survivor's experience by giving a voice to each story. We must abandon a quantitative numerical definition of identity and reclaim our self-definition to exist beyond the numbers that rule our lives. In this way, HTIL is a space of healing, recovery, and storytelling. Let us no longer wonder how little space we can comprise, but instead wonder how to make that space one filled with love and sympathy. Goodbye for now.